Welcome to the Life Together podcast. Life Together is a Wednesday gathering for worship, Bible study, and community at Discover Church in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. We hope that this week's message will encourage you and challenge you. Our mission here at Discover Church is to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Can I tell you a crazy story? So there's this crazy story in Greek mythology about a man named Philemon and his wife, whose name was Bacchus. I want to disclaim this is a myth. This is a fictional story. It is not true, but I still find the story very interesting. And what happens in the story is that this man named Philemon and his wife Bacchus, are, they are poor people, they are peasant people, and they are in their humble home when one night there's a knock at the door, and they open the door to find these two strangers. These strangers also look poor. They are dressed in peasant's clothes, and these two strangers are looking for a meal to eat and a place to stay. So Philemon and Bacchus, they welcome these two strangers into their house, and they want to be hospitable, and they want to care for them, and so they do. So they work on preparing a meal for them. They go into the kitchen, and Bacchus is is doing her best to be as generous as she can be with her limited supply. And so she takes her best pitcher, and she fills it up, and she begins to serve drinks to these two strangers who they have never met before. Well, she serves them once, twice, three times, and as she continues to fill their cup, she notices something bizarre, and her pitcher is not growing empty. She grabs her husband and brings him into the kitchen, and they look at this pitcher together, and they realize what's happening. It's a miracle, and so they go out into the living room, and they call these two men out for what they believe to be true, and they say, you are not men, you are gods. And so the two guys say, hey, you're right, Bingo, we're not just guys. We are Zeus, the god of the king of the gods, and Hermes, who is his spokesperson. And so the two gods look to the husband and the wife, and they say, I want you to grab everything you can carry and run up to the mountains, and you'll be saved. So Philemon and Bacchus, they grab everything that they can carry, and they go running up to the mountaintop. When they get to the top, they stop and they turn around. I forgot to tell you this part of the story. Earlier in the day, Zeus and Hermes had gone to every other house in the village, and every single other villager had turned them away for a meal to eat and a place to stay. So as Bacchus and Philemon turn around to see their village at the bottom of the valley, they then watch as Zeus and Hermes flood the entire village and everyone dies. The end. Thanks for coming to Life Together tonight. Okay, there's one other part of the story that I need to tell you. I need to tell you where the story takes place. So this Greek mythology, again, this is not, (laughs) we are not talking about the Bible. This story is not in the Bible. This is Greek mythology. But this story takes place in an area of ancient Greece called Phrygia. And if you update the geography from ancient Greece to the time of Paul, this story takes place about 40 miles away from a city called Lystra. And as we walk into Acts chapter 14, I want you to keep this story in mind because this story was a myth from Acts 14 from the area around the city of Lystra. So now that we have told you a Greek myth, which is a man-made fiction used to enslave people in idolatry, Let's now go to the Word of God, which is a holy, inspired book that is used to set the captives free. Amen? Here's Acts chapter 14, 
verses 8 through 12, the word of God says this. While they were at, here's the city, Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He had been that way from birth, so he had never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached. Looking straight at him, Paul realized he had the faith to be healed. So Paul called to him in a loud voice, stand up. And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. When the crowd saw that Paul had done this, they shouted in their local dialect, These men are gods in human form. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and Paul was Hermes since he was the chief speaker. Let's pray as we get started in God's word tonight. Father, we thank you so much. You've been so good to us. You've been so faithful to us. Every single one of us has had the ability to call upon your name. And when we call upon your name, your promises are good and just, and you have been so generous to us. We praise you, Lord, for the good work that you've done. And we pray that as we spend time in your word tonight, it would be a great steak dinner as you fill us, as you challenge us, and as you grow us to look a little bit more like your son. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Today is week two in a brand new series called Five Cities and Five Sermons. In the book of Acts, between chapters 13 and 21, Paul goes on three missionary journeys, and in these three trips, he's going to preach five different sermons in five different cities. These five sermons are a masterclass for evangelism. They teach us how to share good news to others as Paul shares good news in these five different cities. What is so powerful about these sermons is the way that Paul adapts the good news of Jesus Christ to speak into five different cultures. We spent last week in the city of Antioch, and today we're into the city of Lystra. The million-dollar question that we've been asking is, are you preaching good news in a wise, compassionate, and compelling way? I believe that God wants every one of us to learn how to preach good news in a wise, compassionate, and compelling way. Every Christ follower is called to also be a Christ witness, going into all the world and preaching good news. Spiritual maturity is not marked by the quantity or quality of the sermons that you hear. Spiritual maturity is marked by the quality and the quantity of the sermons that you preach. I believe God has called every one of us to be preachers of good news. Well, Paul is not in Antioch anymore. Paul is not in a synagogue anymore like he was last week speaking to Jewish people. In Acts 14, Paul is in a country village called Lystra. And we're going to categorize the people of Lystra with two words. And we're going to categorize them as superstitious polytheists. And I'm going to take a minute and kind of explain both of these terms and how these terms describe the culture of this city. So poly just means many. So polytheists believe in many gods. And Lystra, those many gods, would have been the, the Greek gods of mythology. If you would have gone to maybe a really uh, big metropolitan city, they probably would not have treated those stories as fact. They would have treated them the same way that we treat Marvel movies as a nice fictional story about superheroes. But if you were out in the hill country of Lystra, you were going to have people poor peasant people who believed them to be fact, that these gods were real, they were still interacting with them, and they believed these stories to be true. I want to get us thinking today, what groups of people who live in Milwaukee are 
polytheists. So I'm going to make my list for you, and if you feel like I missed anything, please come talk to me after service and help me out. But this is my best list of people who I know live in our city, who you might know, who might be your friend or your co-worker or go to your school, who would be in the category of polytheist. So the first religion I'm going to list here is Buddhism. So Buddha is, is actually the nickname of a real person that lived, and he was not meant to be thought of as a god. He was rather meant to be a teacher that would lead people through their, to their best path through enlightenment. Now, Buddhists do acknowledge many, many different gods, and so we could categorize Buddhism as polytheists. The other one I'm going to list here is a Hinduism. So Hinduism can also be a little tricky to categorize. There are many gods in Hinduism, but just interesting for you to know, some Hindus believe that all of those gods are just the different natures or features of a single god. So some Hindus might say that they're a monotheist, but for tonight we're going to go ahead and put them in this block category of polytheist. If you think about the world religions of Hinduism and Buddhism, both of those religions together will make up about 20% of the world population. So one in five people who live on this globe would fall into one of these categories. I'm so thankful that I'm part of a church that has missionaries that are sent to countries that have strongholds of Buddhism and Hinduism. They could preach good news to these people groups. Now, this series, we're talking about us. We're talking about our city. We're talking about the conversations you have. What's interesting to me is that in the state of Wisconsin, however, Less than 1% of our population is Buddhist. Less than 1% of our population is Hindu. So it would be very possible that everyone in this room may not know someone who is Buddhist or Hinduist. But I still believe that polytheism is very present in America. I believe that polytheism is a growing religion in America. And I want to point that out by introducing you to a new term. I wasn't familiar with this. But I think as I define this term, you're going to do what I did, and you're going to say, I know a lot of people that believe that. And so the term is called omnism. And there's other terms that would be neighbor terms to it if you've heard the word universalist or relativism. And these would be kind of neighbor terms. I love the way that omnism is defined because I think it does kind of hit the heart of where much of American culture is moving. Here's the definition for omnism. The belief in all faiths, all religions, and all gods as a pathway to unite all things and all people. You know, so we've seen the, the bumper stickers that say coexist, and, you know, Jesus himself preached that we should live in harmony with the people that we live with, but living in peace and living in conformity or in full agreement, there's a significant difference between those things that there has to be a separation uh, between the oneness of Christ and the polytheism, the acceptance of all faiths, all religions. I think we've seen many people that you would know who've moved that way. They might identify as Christian, but then they would also say, yeah, but you could also be Muslim, and you're going to get to the same place, or you could be Hindu. And really, whatever truth that you want to be your truth, you can just have your truth. And why do we have to be so restricting? Why do we have to be so restricting is because Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, and Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he, it's very exclusive. He says, no one comes to the Father 
except through me. That's not omnism. It's not all faiths, all beliefs. He says, I'm the gate, and there's just one gate, and I'm the way in. And in pop culture and celebrity culture in America, you see this teaching grow and grow. And in so many places, you're going to see this acceptance of, well, all paths lead the same way. And I would love for you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, to raise your attentiveness to when you hear this, to identify it as polytheism. Oh, so, so they just believe that everything's going to be fine. Everything's all equal. But the Jesus that I serve said that no one gets to the Father except through him. And I'm either going to have to choose the way of my culture, the way of the world, or I'm going to have to choose the words of Jesus Christ. The other descriptor for the people in Lystra is superstitious. So uh, superstition I'm going to define as a widely held but unjustified belief in the supernatural. So the people of Lystra were superstitious polytheists. You know, do we as Christians believe in the supernatural? Yes, we do. So what's the difference for us? Well, it's the difference because of how we are justified. We define that word as a widely held but unjustified belief. As Christians, we use the Bible to justify our belief in the supernatural. We use the Bible as our filter, as our guide, as our direction for how we seek after, interpret, follow supernatural experiences. It is justified by the Word of God. When we separate ourselves from that, we end up in a very unsafe place. We drift into superstition, and you can find superstition peppered into every religion and every culture all across the globe. We're going to play a game. Um, I'm going to name the superstition, and then you see if you can name the religion that it comes from. Okay, so here's the first one. So the superstition is, if you don't spin the prayer wheel, your prayers will not be heard. So that is there. The one I'm going to pick is Buddhism. And I say that because my wife grew up in Thailand and Laos, and so she has been to many Buddhist temples, and they're filled with these prayer wheels. And what they're taught is that they have to spin the wheel in order for their prayer to be heard. So there's this ritual. And it's not in the teaching, but it's in the practice. And so it's in the habits. And so if you don't do this thing, then the, your prayers are not going to be able to be heard. Here's another one. Uh, the superstition is if you don't make a home altar for your family, your deceased relatives won't be able to visit you. So I'm thinking of, of Dia de los Muertos, which would be kind of a, a mix between Catholic culture and indigenous Latin culture, would be this belief that if I don't do this step, if I don't follow this practice, is that anywhere in the Bible? No, it's nowhere in the Bible. But, but if I don't follow this practice, this superstition, then my deceased relatives aren't going to be able to come visit me. It's an unjustified but widely accepted belief. Here's another one. If you don't make the sign of the cross when you leave your home or church, you can be attacked by demons. Right, so I'm going to put that with both Catholic as well as Eastern Orthodox is going to be in that space. Is it good to re remember the cross? Yes. Is th that's a great thing to do as often as you can in your life. But if we attach to it a superstition that if I don't make this motion, demons are going to come attack to me, I have drifted into an unjustified belief. Okay, here's one more, and 
I, I like to fire things in all directions, so no one gets off the hook here. Uh, demons can attach themselves to the clothes you buy at thrift stores. And we're going to attribute this one to evangelicals here. I know this is us, but this is a direct quote from a TV evangelist. When we drift away from the filter, the guide of Scripture, the practice of Scripture, we're going to see ourselves falling into superstitious beliefs. A not-so-great philosopher once said, I'm not superstitious, but maybe I'm a little stitious. So, how do you think Paul is going to present the gospel in a wise, compassionate, and compelling way to a group of superstitious polytheists? So, step one is stand back and let God do what he's going to do. Paul's starting to preach his sermon. As he's preaching his sermon, he looks and he sees this man. It's really kind of a phenomenal skill set. If you remember the first time that you uh, did a public speaking class, I'm sure you were very nervous, and you're very focused, and you get that tunnel vision as you're trying to get the right words out in the right order, and there could have been someone unicycling and juggling, and you never would have seen him in the room because you're just so focused on you. There is this high skill set that comes from practice and comes from anointing, which is the ability to be doing one thing while you're doing the other thing. Pastor Brooks is a very accomplished preacher, and one thing that I know about him, because I know him well, is that while he's preaching, he's also listening and observing and praying. That he is attuned to what is happening in the room, and he is not just focused on his own words. I think this is a skill set that all Christians should be pursuing, should be practicing and seeking after. That's what Paul's doing. Paul is preaching while he's having a conversation with the Holy Spirit about a crippled man sitting back in the third row. Because while he's talking, he's asking the Holy Spirit, is there something that's supposed to happen right now? Is, is that man supposed to be healed? Am I, is this going to happen later or is this right now? Oh, it's right now? And so Paul interrupts his sermon, yells back to the third row, stand up, and this man is miraculously healed. I believe that wise Christians listen, observe, and pray while they're sharing the gospel. So Paul is speaking, and, and he has this amazing miracle that happens, and what do the people of Lystra do? So they respond like any superstitious polytheist would respond. They see a miracle, and they do exactly what they learned from the myth of Philemon and Bacchus, and they believe that Barnabas and Paul are Zeus and Hermes. So Acts 14 lets us know that when they make this conclusion— they start out yelling in their own dialect, they're gods, they're Zeus and Hermes, we figured it out. And they're shouting. What's fascinating is the Bible tells us they speak this in their, uh, in their native dialect. Well, they had been speaking in Greek with Paul. So Paul and Barnabas don't know this language. They don't know this dialect. So this miracle happens, and then all of the crowd switches languages, and they start shouting and yelling, which I imagine was very confusing for Paul and Barnabas, Right? They're thinking, are they angry? Are they happy? I'm not sure what's happening. And it takes Paul and Barnabas a minute to figure out what's going on. When they figure it out, they are alarmed. Once Paul and Barnabas figure out what's going on, they realize that things have gone terribly wrong. And because of their superstitious, polytheistic beliefs, this miraculous sign has been taken down in a dangerous direction. 
Let's read what happens next. Acts 14, 15 through 17, Paul begins to explain to them what really is going on. He says, friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. In the past, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. It's a very short sermon. It's five sentences long, but Paul accomplishes a lot in this very short sermon. Can we talk about his use of the word friends? Paul had just been in town for a couple days. He doesn't know these people well. He doesn't agree with their belief system. These are very different people than his culture people. And yet Paul opens their, he wants to catch their attention, and he opens his sermon by calling them friends. Isn't that powerful? You know, this last weekend was the Pride Fest downtown in Milwaukee. Did you know that Jesus wants you to think of all of those people at Pride Fest as friends? He wants you to think of people who believe in many gods as friends. He wants you to think of atheists as friends. Paul does not start off his sermon with, hey, idiots. Think about this. Jesus himself called the Pharisees vipers and snakes. And Paul calls a group of superstitious polytheists friends. You have to lean in in a compassionate way to share the good news of Jesus Christ. The people of Lystra have just made a huge error. They think that Paul and Barnabas are gods. Paul is not going to attack them or give up on them. Paul seizes the opportunity to shine light on a sinful culture. Theologian Tim Keller calls this practice drilling and blasting. It's the idea that if I was going to build a highway through the mountains and I was going to take dynamite, and if I just put the dynamite on the outside of the mountain, it would accomplish very little. And many times we do this when we're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Rather than getting to know a culture, we just set dynamite off on the outside and we blast at the culture. And very little is accomplished for the glory of God. Drilling and blasting is, I'm going to take time to get to know this culture, to make friendship, to learn, to listen, and I'm going to drill into the mountainside. And then, when it is time, the message of Jesus Christ is offensive. The message of Jesus Christ calls every single one of us sinners. He calls every single one of us in need of saving. He makes none of us good enough. It is an offensive message. But when the time comes to be offensive with the gospel, let's just be offensive with the blood of Jesus. We don't need to be offensive with the outward trappings of culture that we could drill into culture with compassion and love and then let the gospel be offensive as it is. Let the Holy Spirit do the work of convicting and let us do the work of compassion and love and care. This is what Paul's doing. This is why he calls them friends. And when they make this big mistake, you guys are gods. He says, you know what? This is the opportunity for us to have a talk. So let's have this talk. Why do you hold on to these worthless things? It's a powerful sentence, 
he is now pushing them. He says, why do you hold on to these worthless things? In their culture, those worthless things were idols. It wasn't just the stories that were told in Greek mythology, but it was the idols and the slavery that ensues from idol worship. The bondage that ensues from the sacrifices that have to be made to these dead statues, to these man-made statues and these man-made stories. The way that their poverty is brought poorer as they continue to give up money and prayers to a God who will never respond back. And Paul says, why do you waste time? Why do you still hold on to these worthless things? I think if Paul was to preach a message to our city, to our culture, I bet he would say the same thing. He would say, Milwaukee, why do you hold on to these worthless things? That there is idolatry in our city, there is idolatry in our lives, or we have placed things above God. I want you to imagine that you have um, a heart surgery that's needed, and so they call in, and it's really important because it's your heart and not someone else's. And so they call in the best heart surgeon in the U.S., he comes in with his scalpel and just cuts you up and puts you back together in an amazing way. You're healed. Everything's great. And as you're leaving the hospital, you say, hey, can I have that scalpel, please? And you take, go home with the scalpel, and you set up an altar at your home with a scalpel. Every day, you bow down to the scalpel. Oh, great scalpel. Thank you for saving my life. Where is it that we begin to worship the creation over the creator. Where are the idols in our culture and the people that we love that have been placed above God? Someone once described pornography as idolatry because in pornography, it is the obsession, it is the addiction of worshiping the human form rather than worshiping the one who made the human form. That in our materialism, in the things that can trap and entrap us, we find ourselves, like the Leicester people, bowing down to idols day after day, enslaved. And Paul says, why do you hold on to such worthless things? Paul begins to talk about God. And I just want to make sure that you notice that Paul talks about God without ever bringing up the Bible. Why does he not quote from Genesis? Because these people don't believe in the Bible. They don't have the book of Genesis. And so rather than using scripture, Paul describes God by a, a passageway called general revelation. He says, do you see creation? Do you see how awesome this is? You know that miracle that you put a seed in the ground and something grows up in the season and it feeds you and takes care of you? Isn't that incredible? And if you had the choice between worshiping a stone idol and worshiping the God who made the mountains, wouldn't you choose to worship the God who made the mountains? Wouldn't that be so much better? And he pushes up against this cultural belief, this unbiblical belief, and he does it without the Bible and to reach them where they are and push them in. Okay, so we're going to give Paul's sermon the test here. So here's the test. Question number one, Paul, was it wise? Yes. Yes, it was very wise. In Paul's sermon, you can tell that he already knows who he's talking to. No one needs to explain to him that this is a group of superstitious polytheists. He's already done his homework. He's already listened. He already knows. 
Is it compassionate? Yes, it's compassionate. He says, friends, I'm not approaching as a master. I'm not approaching to this as a righteous person speaking to an unrighteous person. I am starting this conversation off as friends. And then is it compelling? Yes, it's compelling. We talked about last week about preaching good news that you can't just sit back and listen to. That it's not meant to be ended with applause. It's meant to be ended with application. I need to do something. I can't go up to that temple tomorrow and bow down to that stone idol again. I have to do something. As we're closing today, one of the things that's so unique about this message is the way that he has this conversation without using scripture. This is very challenging for us, and I've been talking with Mandy about why this is so challenging for Christians, and I have my theory that I want to share with you. Um, The reason that we are so used to using Scripture in every conversation about Jesus is because 99% of the sermons that you have ever heard in your life occurred inside of a church. Well, why do I use Scripture when we preach? Because we're in a church. And because we already had that agreed-upon faith, but if someone asked you to describe God or describe Jesus without using Scripture, I think that could be a very healthy challenge for you to pull off. Why? Because I believe that there are people in this city that God wants you to share good news with who do not believe in the Bible. And so if you start off with Galatians 5.22, you've already lost them. So I want to kind of throw these two questions at you. And these are questions not for you to answer, but powerful questions that I think you should ask if you were talking to someone who you thought maybe was a superstitious polytheist. And don't ever call them that. That's offensive. (laughs) Question number one, how do you think the earth began? Rather than starting off with your scripture quoting, what if you just ask them the question, how do you think the earth began? And then the next step is really important. Then don't talk. And just listen. I think if you just listen, you might learn something about where their starting point is so that you could meet them at their starting point. And if I was to talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob without mentioning Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I would start off with, isn't this universe amazing? Isn't the size of the galaxy amazing? Isn't the way that I can breathe in and breathe out right now amazing? It might lead someone to believe of a creative designer, that this wasn't chance. And I would start that conversation from that point, and I wouldn't know where I was going next because I was going to listen as we went. The other question that I think would be a very powerful question to ask someone would be this question. What do you think about Jesus? Not the Bible, What do you think about Jesus? And then you have to remember the second step, which is what? Stop talking. Yeah. (laughs) Listen. What do you think about Jesus? And if I listen to what someone else thought about Jesus, it would help me find a good starting point to know where we can start from if I knew what they thought. And if I'm going to talk about Jesus without using Scripture, I'm just going to talk about who he was and what he did. So there's this man named Jesus. He was an amazing teacher. But crazy thing, he said that he was going to die, and then he was going to be resurrected three days later. And then, you're not going to believe this, he died, and then he was resurrected three days later. And maybe, I understand that's a stretch, but maybe if that's true, we should do whatever that guy says. 
And then Scripture matters because of Jesus. Jesus doesn't matter because of Scripture. Scripture matters because of Jesus. And I am going to start with that. It would be a good challenge for every Christian to be able to describe their faith without Scripture verses because then you would be able to talk to someone who doesn't believe in Scripture yet. And when we make these bridges, we're inviting so many more people to the table to have a conversation, to be introduced to the love of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're here for. I want to close tonight by praying for every person that you know or you may not know yet in your life, in your city, that is a polytheist. I want to pray for people who might be in your neighborhood who you have been too scared to meet yet, who might be Buddhist or Hindu. I want to pray for your kids, your grandkids, your family members who have drifted from Christianity into a universalistic or an omnism perspective of life that everything is good in any way is going to get you to heaven and let's pray for him tonight. Father we need your help. We cannot do this on our own. You promised us that you would not leave us alone to figure this out. You promised us that when we would go into the world and preach good news that you would give us the anointing, the baptism of your Holy Spirit to give us the power that we need to pull this off, to give us the wisdom that we need to pull this off, to give us the compassion that we need to pull this off. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be working in us. Lord, if, if our hearts have grown, grown cold, I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to burn with a passion for the lost. Help us to be deep hearted about people who do not know you, who have not been introduced to good news. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the wisdom and clarity that we need to share good news with the people that you have put in our pathway. I pray for family members that are represented in this room who have drifted away from Christ or who have yet to have a relationship with Christ. And I pray that you would call them through the power of your spirit. Lord, we can speak with words, but you can speak in spirit, and you can move hearts. You can take hard hearts and let them be softened in the power of your word and the power of your spirit. Let your will be done. I know there are people in this room who are going to have a conversation in the next week with someone who does not know you, and I pray, Lord, that you would allow our words to be your words. Teach us to walk in your paths. Teach us to walk in your spirit that we would be able to see good news spread like wildfire in our community, in our families, in the city, that all would come to know the good news of Jesus Christ and the life that is with him. I want to pray for anyone in this room tonight who is sitting here who has yet to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. If that is you tonight, call on his name. Call on his name. And at the name of Jesus, we surrender to you. We place you first. You are the forgiver of all of our sins. And that when we call upon your name, we can be washed clean in your sacrifice. That for the pain that you bared on that cross, you have purchased the forgiveness of our sins. And we can walk clean and pure today by the power of your grace. Let it be in the name of Jesus. We trust you. We give you praise. We pray that you would lead us from this place and that your name would be greater because of it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we see you in person. 
Join us Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. right here at Discover Church. Find us online at discoverchurch.org.